Hello and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Scherjarko, and in this episode we are finally discussing the original film in the Star Wars saga, Episode 4, A New Hope. Winston and I were ever so fortunate to be joined once more by the one and only Sarah Shackett, a brilliant writer who shares many great thoughts about this iconic film. And it was just May the 4th a few days ago, so may the 4th be with you, and I hope that you enjoy your holiday by marathoning all the films and listening to all of our Star Wars episodes thus far. Just a forewarning, we, mostly me, get a couple of little pieces of information wrong in this one, and I know that there are going to be some hardcore Star Wars fans out there who will notice that. I apologize in advance for any misinformation in here, but I think you'll enjoy it regardless. Thank you so much to our newest patron, Natalie Seibeck, and to our producer-level patrons, Emma Cohen, Rena Sarame, Zoo Yorker, Allison Turi, and Jacob Penfold, who would all make great alternate casting choices for Han Solo, and to our master producer, Michael Beck, who represents the intellectual zenith of the program. Now, as you may recall from last episode, if we get four more patrons at the $5 and up level, I'm now going to say by the end of May, Winston will record a cover of Toss a Coin to Your Witcher. Thanks to Natalie, we are a fifth there. And even if you don't care about that, come check us out on the Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can get access to all sorts of extras for as little as $1 a month. We had a really fun live stream the other day for the $25 and up patrons um, all about musicals, and we're uh, we're in the process of coming up with more, more live stream episodes. So come check that out. The only last thing before we dive in is a huge thank you to all of you who are listening during this crazy quarantine time. I know that podcast listening has gone way down during the quarantine, mostly because no one is commuting and everyone is at home, but I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who are taking the time and mental energy to listen to our little podcast. If you think somebody else might enjoy our podcast that doesn't already listen to it, maybe send this episode along. I hope you are all keeping healthy and safe and drinking delicious wine. Without further ado, here is episode 63, Star Wars, A New Hope, with Sarah Shackett. Alrighty, I am so excited because, Winston, we are here joined by the one, the only, Sarah Shackett. Oh, hello. Welcome back, Sarah. Thank you. Um, yes, this is now, this is now, you've been on pairing a few times, um, which is because I just keep, keep being like, Sarah, I need you to come back and talk to me and share all your, all your wisdom with me. And because I'm a complete pushover, I say yes. <laughs> well, you, you represent the intellectual zenith of the program. It's true. So, you, I would you, like to believe that uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban is the intellectual zenith of this program. That was that was possibly the intellectual zenith of this program. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a pleasure to be back. Oh my gosh! And and Thank nice to talk you. to both of you this time. My goodness. I know. I know. We're just mixing it up, mixing it up all the time. And the the reason why I wanted to make sure to have Winston here for this particular episode is that we're going to be talking about a subject near and dear to his heart, near and dear to all of our hearts. Mm-hmm. But we're finally talking about the original Star Wars, Episode 4, A New Hope. 
Dun da da da. Cue, cue the the yeah the the music that is definitely licensed yeah. and is a hundred percent okay to use. Disney is chill with it. Oh yeah, yeah. three Absolutely. people sitting in a closet. Yeah. <laughs> so Sarah, so Winston and I have already talked a little bit about our kind of Star Wars experience, how we got into mm-hmm. Star Wars, and so I'm curious about. Um, I know it's a it's sort of a general question, but what is yeah. your experience with Star Wars? When did you discover it? And where did it go from there? Right. Uh, I was thinking about this a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, I, I went to go rewatch uh, A New Hope last night in preparation Lovely. for this episode um, and realized it had, be- it had been a minute. Yeah, we didn't. But I ha- I did a full rewatch right before um, Rise of Skywalker came out. Nice. And so I feel like it's fresh enough. I've also seen it. Many, many times. So I feel like it's yes, fairly yes. firmly in, implanted in the my brain. The are, beats are, uh, they're pretty, pretty well known. They, they've they, they, they've they permeated are, yeah. culture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was something about something the hero's journey film. I heard one yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I discovered Star Wars. Uh, it was pushed on me by my mm. father. Um, who Good father. Was, uh, he and my mother both really loved the, the original trilogy when it came out. Um, That's great. In the seventies, uh, and I, th- I, I don't remember, but I think like it was announced that they were doing the prequels, and my mm-hmm. dad was just like, "She needs to see this now before uh-huh. it's, uh, before there's another one." Good, um, good father. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, good instincts. Uh, yes. So I, I remember, and because it was pushed on me, I, re- I have this very vivid memory of being surly about watching it. Ah, <laughs> okay, yes, I guess. Oh, something an adult likes? Gross. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I can relate. And in, in the original uh, VHS uh, set that we had, um, there's like this 13-minute intro in like on the legacy of the trilogy. You're, oh, yes, uh, with George Leonard Lucas. Malton. Oh, Leonard Alton? Sorry, go on. I'm sorry to interrupt. Malton, yeah. No, 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 no. Um, and I, I have this very vivid memory of like put it, starting to watch that and being like, what is this? Yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> Where? <laughs> what is this? Because I, I remember yeah, on like, the VHS tapes, didn't they do an intro for most of them where they were advertising mm-hmm. like the making of film yes, that came exactly. with one of the box like sets? I sort of remember this. They'd show, they'd show that yeah. clip of them driving by the the Death Star set in a Jeep with oh, a camera. Yeah. yeah, and like doing doing sort of the 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 models that they built and then the sort of pyrotechnics on them to simulate the explosions on the surface of the Death Star and all of that. Oh my god. Um but luckily I stuck with it because as soon as I watched uh the first film I was very, very hooked. And then Yeah. It's hard it, not to it's be. weird to think about now, uh, because it doesn't feel like a very fanish part of my life. I feel like I'm more of a Lord of the Rings fan as you are. Emma. Me too. Yes. We, we we fall on that side that end of the spectrum of nerd yeah. nerd fandom. But um, I like I was really into Star Wars and I read yeah. like a bunch of the Tales of the Jedi comics and I played mm-hmm. Knights of the Old Republic. I played a lot of the video games. I ended up reading a lot of the extended universe novels um, in nice. middle school. So I am I am deep in Star Wars and it has been a beloved uh, part of my imagination. So I am very excited to talk about it. So you you and Winston both have have delved much deeper than I have into like Star Wars the Star Wars universe beyond mm-hmm. the beyond the major films, um, because I'm I'm pretty basic. I've pretty much just seen the original films, 
Um, mm-hmm. Or I've pretty much seen all, all the films and now The Mandalorian. But here's a question. So, so Winston and I have already done a prequels episode. How do you feel about the prequels? Well, yeah, it's a big you question. You can hear the hesitation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. All opinions are welcome here. <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously, they're they're not good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we can we can just say that and 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 know it to be the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have I have a certain fondness for them because I did I was I was that age when they mm-hmm. came out. I was I was I think I was nine or ten. Yeah, me. Uh, I was Menace, I was around I those age, that age. Really yeah. liking that movie back then. Yeah. Part I think of- Phantom Menace ages better than the rest of the prequels. Yeah. If you can, there's like a few things you have to sort of blockade your mind about, yes. you know, yes. uh, wise man's fear style yeah. or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like you have to be able to hold two completely antithetical concepts in your mind at the right. same time. But right. there, I, I think there, there's good things about, the, if you're able to break the film down into its constituent parts and take, you know, eight out of ten no, of them. No, you understand you why decisions got made. Yeah. yeah. And you also can, I think, better appreciate the the meta tragedy of the prequels, which I think is 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 one of the things that I think is is more interesting as time goes on. Is like you really see this is sort of the tragic downfall of George Lucas, you know, he started as this upstart yeah. kid and nobody would say yes to him and he just, you know, powered through with his yeah. vision and his drive and then he became the kind of person nobody could say no to. And right and that right, and there drunk on his own power, problem. you know, and yes. yes. And this is something this is something which that's a nice little segue into back back into talking about um, a New Hope in Episode Four, and mm-hmm. um, which was just called Star Wars at the time that it was released, I believe. Am I correct? I am, am I wrong? I defer to you, Sarah. I'm not sure about that. I I'm not sure either, off the top of my head. Um, I believe so. I think I, it was always Episode Four. I think it was always Episode yes, Four because yes, I, think I think he part always of, knew. I think part of his whole hero's journey, mythic writing thing was he was like, oh well. All epic poems start in medias res, right? Like yeah. in the middle of stuff. So we'll call this episode four, uh, you know, to right. Hint it's it's at part grandeur. of building the sort of the lived-in sense of of the universe. Right. I believe so. So I have the Wikipedia article pulled up, which, as we all know, the Wikipedia or the Wikipedia, the Wikipedia. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Yes. Um, Again, so I ha- intellectual the- zenith. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so the 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 Wikipedia article says um, it it obviously went through many many different iterations. He was writing this script for years, yeah. um, and and it underwent many different kind of forms before it became what it is. But I believe that. At least while it was in production, it was just called Star Wars because he was. It was marketed as Star Wars. Yeah, um, yeah. Even I'm, though, uh, even though Episode Four does appear in the title crawl. Yes, I believe so. And again, that was probably. I know there's that whole you know the kid stays in the picture about the '70s era studio transition and the invention of the blockbuster, but I think that that Episode Four stuff, even though it probably wasn't in the the like the main marketing. I'm sure that made its way into the pitch room when they're talking about like think of the you know the crappy TV special we can do and the toys we can sell mm-hmm. and it's gonna go and on also, and on and on. Less less uh, uh, that as and as well as like this is harkening back to serials. 
Mm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and the movie serials of the 30s and 40s. Right. Um, right. And that gives totally. you a sense of the tone uh, and the the fun that this is supposed to be, in addition to um, a space opera with Alec Guinness. Right. Yes. Yeah. Which. Um, oh, well, so let's let's talk about Alec Guinness for for a second because this is the yeah. only movie that he is really in. I mean, he obviously appears in episodes five and six, but mm-hmm. right, right, yeah, you see be, his yeah. ghost yeah. Oh, at yeah. least. Um, but this was really his movie, and um, and I and Winston, you had told me that he did not enjoy the process of filming this. That's what I heard and never bothered to verify with any research. (laughs) Well, so what I found with research, it didn't say anything about whether he enjoyed it or not or thought it was beneath him or not, but he did say that this Wikipedia article says that Alec Guinness was one of the few people working on the film that was like, this is going to be a huge success. So ostensibly, he told George Lucas that he'd do it for like, 2% of the net profits or whatever. And so he ended up making bank. (laughs) Um, Good for him. Yeah. The impression I got was that he resented it. Like he resented that the movie was going to be a success because he thought it was very, you know, sort of hoi polloi mundane. Um, Right. But I love in those scenes where you get to see him take a line. Like if you just look on the page at the line not as uh, clumsy or random as a blaster, a more elegant weapon for a more civilized age. You're kind of like, right. okay. And then Alec Guinness delivers it, and you're like, oh, this is poetry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I think nothing nothing against Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher. And, I mean, they're all brilliant in their own way, and they're all perfect in this movie. And but they're serving vastly different functions yes. exactly. than what Alec Guinness is on screen exactly. to do. Exactly. Right. He is, I mean, I guess in the writing sense, he is there to lend gravitas to the story as the sage. So so part of that is, I guess, character intentional. But some of the lines he delivers, like, you know, I'm a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, it's, know. I mean, it's just perfect. Yeah. yeah just But yeah. like imagine, yeah. you know, Ewan McGregor actually saying those lines, you know, in his younger days. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't work, you know. You need I mean, some combination of Alec Guinness. I mean, I'd and... like to, I'd like to see you and McGregor deliver those lines before I pass uh, that judgment. I'd like but... to see him deliver anything. <laughs> well, give Dizzy plus time. <laughs> exactly. They're yeah. going to get around to it. Yeah. Right. But one thing I wanted to mention, I don't know if either of you knew this. I definitely did not. Um, Alec Guinness was not the original choice for Obi Wan Kenobi, huh. and it. At least, again, according to the internet, um, mm-hmm. one of which the, is never wrong, never wrong ever. The uh, the first choice was, and Winston, you might freak out. Sarah, you might freak out too. Um, was Toshiro Mifune? <gasps> that makes who, all of the sense. Yes, who of um. From hidden, yeah, hidden fortress. Yeah, from okay. all all of the uh, all of the Kurosawa movies. All of the if Kurosawa, you've seen a Kurosawa films. movie. You've seen him. Yes, and so apparently <sighs> they wanted him to to play this part, which would have been also incredible. But he thought that because you know this was going to be like a campy sci-fi movie, it would kind of uh, you know deplete from the image of of the samurai that he mm-hmm. that he was known for playing. Um, and so he, this is, I think, according to his daughter, so, you know, so who knows, who knows what, what actually happened, right. but that 
could have happened. And then this leads me to my first pairing of the episode. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, because I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, sake is a really good pairing for Obi-Wan Kenobi, I feel like. Particularly, we we have a Japanese restaurant here in Santa Fe that we like to go to and they have a huge sake selection. We've learned a lot about sake from uh, from them. But That's awesome. Yeah, it's very cool. But there's this one sake, I don't know if you remember, Winston, but it's called Mude Muka and it's like really heavy on the umami and like really yeah. kind of earthy and, mm-hmm. and it's like really weird because you're like, you look at it and you're like, oh, it's this like clear liquid and then you taste it and you're like, whoa, there's all these like intense, dark, deep flavors going on. And I feel something about that made me feel like, I was like, yeah, I feel like that's a good Obi-Wan Kenobi pairing. And um, I could also see Obi-Wan Kenobi like, you know, being a sake brewer in in the <laughs> sure. I, yeah, I can see. probably not on Tatooine. I feel like you, you probably don't get a you, lot of. Yeah, you need rice you grows need in water. So. Yeah, I need a little bit more moisture. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Sarah? What would you pair with uh, with Obi Wan? Obi Wan. Um, I love I love the idea of sake. Um, that's so smart. Yeah. I think you know if if left to my my own devices i might um winston also just puts you on the spot it that's that's totally okay it's not um, your job to 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 make the pairings but i always appreciate people's uh people's yeah. opinions i'm sorry i'm trying to be like you know su- a supportive third <laughs> rather than a man who sucks no, up all the oxygen right. in the room. Um, I was going to say like a, an English bitter. Um, Ooh, yeah. very good. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Because yes. just because Alec Guinness and he's bringing um, such that that sense of as as you said that gravitas, that sense of, yeah. of history. Yeah. Um, oh, I that like sense that a lot. Of, of weight and import. Um, and and that's I don't know. There's 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 like a richness to him that I think Absolutely. goes well with yeah. something you you pull a pint of at a pub. Bringing totally. a, bringing that David Lean realness. Totally. Oh yeah. Shout out <laughs> David Lean. Go watch Bridge <laughs> of the River Kwai if you like Alec Guinness. Heck yeah. Or any of his epics because he's also in Zhivago and um, oh is he? He plays Prince. Alpha, like he plays the, the yeah. head of the House of Saud in uh, oh. Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, oh yeah, yes, that's right. And in Doctor Zhivago, right. he's the commissar who's interrogating um, the guy who tells Doctor Zhivago's oh, story. Yeah. Like, and and then he's peppered throughout the movie as like a young revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. I'm now I'm now thinking maybe it might be that Alec Guinness kind of resented being remembered for this role. Right. Because, right. because it's funny because I think Harrison Ford has a very similar attitude. Totally. Now. Uh, totally. But Alec Guinness was ahead of the game. Totally. Which speaking of Harrison Ford, um and and speaking of possible alternate casting choices, Ooh. um this is another thing that I learned that I don't know. There were a whole lot of people who were possibilities to play Han Solo. Um because apparently Lucas had worked with Harrison Ford on a another movie, uh, American Easy Graffiti. Easy Rider, right? I think it's American or, um, Graffiti. American Graffiti. I'm sorry. Which I, I, to be to be perfectly honest, I have not seen. I've seen. It's actually dope. I had yeah. no idea what the movie was, but it's all about like kids in the. It's like the end of high school. These kids from a small town are, you know, in this time, basically never really going to see each other again. 
Right. Like there's the kids going to college, the kids staying in town, the kids going to the military. And there's a lot of like drag racing in these gorgeous fifties hmm. um, cars. And I, I can't really remember, you know, the, the real plot through line, but I do know that the theme is very much about like saying goodbye to youth. It's not, and... the, the plot through line is not super important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting because it is that very, you know, personal cinema of the 1970s um, mm-hmm. where everyone's trying to capture a vibe and it's before mm. stuff like Star Wars and Jaws is like, no, we're doing franchises now. Yeah, right. yeah, that's interesting. When it came out right when, like, a lot of people were still going to Vietnam. Right. And so the end of right. high school for a lot of people meant being drafted. Right. So yeah. I think there's a, a lot of that sort of bittersweet vibe to it. I've also, I happen to have seen... George Lucas's first film, THX, whatever the fuck uh-huh, it is, with yeah, Robert yeah. Duvall. Yes, and that yes. is some craziness. You I, can see, you can see the Star Wars percolating in his mind. I also haven't seen that, but it's um, very monochrome, mm-hmm. like Aldous Huxley kind of vibe. Yes, to it. it's a very different sci-fi uh, look and feel. Yeah. Um, well, that all that all. It makes me excited to see those movies, but um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read the list of of mm-hmm. what the internet says were p- possible other castings for for Han Solo, and just give you a minute to imagine it. Uh, so the first one, Kurt Russell, could Ooh, could definitely okay. see that. All right, what do you think, bouncy sir? Hair, bouncy hair, bouncy yeah, hair, bouncy, bouncy hair, bouncy hair. Yep, yep, Nick Nolte. Lol. Ugh, Which no. fun fact? Well, Nick Nolte was in, uh, oh my god, uh, the Man- the Mandalorian. He's the yes. he's the yeah. guy who's like, oh my god, I forget his name, but no, he plays the uh, the uh, old old dude they find out in the desert who has yeah. the uh, mounts. Oh, he's thinking. the one who says, "I have spoken." Yes, he, yes. I have spoken. He's yeah. I have spoken. Oh my god, I forget god. his name, but uh, I forget I forget his name in the show too. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's a good choice. Note that they didn't cast Nick Nolte. Uh, Sylvester <laughs> Stallone. Even more law. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, Bill Murray. That I kind of would have liked to see. I, I could I could see it. I could see it. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, especially for New Hope, which really, like, if you look at it, it's all about setups and payoffs. So Murray's right. timing would have worked. I think he would have understood uh, what Lucas was going for and gotten the humor of the film extremely well. Um, Absolutely, I think yeah. it would have. I think physically, he I'm not. Sh- I'm. I'm. I'm trying to picture it, but like, it's yeah. an interesting choice for sure. It could have ended up much closer to Bill Pullman and Spaceballs. Yeah, than yeah. needed to be. That's 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 the danger. I think that's I think yeah. that's true. I think that it would have worked. I think you're you're exactly right, Sarah. I think it would have worked for a new hope. I don't think it would have worked in the rest of the series when Han needs to kind of go on this journey a little bit, so to speak. Well, he was And, a- and be a more serious lead. Yeah. Exactly. Not to say that Bill Murray isn't a great actor and couldn't pull it off. He and definitely. Not, and he's a he's a great dramatic actor. Too. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. But at that time, you know, that you know, it was still the, in the studio system. It was like this is the guy from SNL and, and you know, yeah, and uh, Caddyshack. And yeah. I think he was one of the first people, like in the early two thousands, to have like 
a Bill Murray sans, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. he, he did have, yeah. he started doing all the indies Lost and in translation. Yeah. yeah. Lost, sort of, yep, yeah. From uh, there. Found and a different, the, found a different gear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think he was kind of a pioneer in that regard and having that sort of third epoch recover, you know, yeah. chain, complete change of image. And I, I, right. I don't Bill think Murray that... walked so Liam Neeson could run. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. But so like, but I don't think the studio system had that. Oh my god! In it wait, to wait, hang on, hang on. Apparently, this was not one of the the possible castings for Han Solo, but Liam Neeson as Han Solo that would have been a different, very different movie. Well, I really enjoyed his work in Krull, which yeah. is the 1982 sci-fi classic. Uh, if you haven't seen it, and, and let's not forget Excalibur. Ooh. I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> I believe he's Sir Gawain in Excalibur. He is. He is. One of yeah. my, the Queen is in his head! Baby Helen Mirren, also in Excalibur. Ooh, I know, I know. Um, okay. There's a there's a few more here and I wanna I wanna get them. Uh Christopher mm-hmm. Walken. Lord Almighty. Lord Almighty. That also would have been different. <laughs> yeah, different different choice. Different choice. Burt Reynolds could see it. That would be a different you know, I mean, that would be. I don't think he would have Harrison Ford's uh, sardonic quality. I don't know. I can only see it as Norm Macdonald's Saturday Night Live <laughs> impression of Burt Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the problem. Yeah, yep, yep. That that totally checks out. <laughs> but um, mm, more elegant weapon for more uh, civilized age. Just. <laughs> 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 Yes, probably not a great choice. Jack Nicholson, who I feel like I could see Jack Nicholson as, because this was before... 75 was Cuckoo's Nest, I 75 thought. was yes. Cuckoo's Nest. Okay, so he already So this is kinda, after. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I Not Jack Nicholson now, but Jack Nicholson then. I'd, be, I'd, I'd watch that movie. I don't think I'd enjoy it as much, but I'd watch it. Al Pacino. I love you, Al, but I don't think that would have worked. <laughs> See, yeah, to, probably not. To me, that's like casting Steve Buscemi in Boardwalk Empire, where oh, I was really? like, you're a fabulous actor, but he, he's playing against types so hard. Mm. Like the historical figure he's based on is this lumbering mm. Hulk, and he acts it very much that way. And you're like, well, you're a great actor, but I just, I don't. I well, don't see, I like you. I like Steve Buscemi in in Boardwalk Empire. So. I like him in everything. Well, I just think he was fabulous. Yeah. As Nookie wasn't his name. Yeah, Nookie? yeah, something yeah. like that. Nookie Thomas. I never finished the show, but I did enjoy Neither what I, I watched of it. The side character, like the side character, it's it's suffers from the side characters being fundamentally more interesting. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the, I think you're the faceless man. You're totally and, right. Yeah. Um, um, okay, then these last two I'll just put together because they're sort of in the same vein as Bill Murray, um, Steve Martin, and Chevy Chase. So They definitely considered just... many tones. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I guess this isn't the worst of all possible universes. No. Um, no. I mean, Harrison Ford, you gotta love him. I mean, he's he's not necessarily the greatest person in the world from what I know. <laughs> But he's he is one of a kind, and I I can't imagine a world in which he's not Han Solo. Yeah, I mean that that smile, like oh. I I you know it's it's you you go from meeting this man, mm-hmm. uh, this like sketchy 
pilot person to yeah. loving him in under two minutes. It's you can't oh, yeah. teach that. Yeah, right. It's tr- it's really true. I think I think. And it's interesting to me because he seems to hate the character and the franchise or resent it. I don't know that he hates mm-hmm. it. I yeah, I don't think he, he hates it. He I think resent- he. He's a, he's a weirdo, so. But he kind of, <laughs> as a person, he kind of is Han Solo. Yeah, yeah. Where he's like, he's crashing planes and yeah. walking away unscathed <laughs> and being like, oh, well, I, I guess I'm going to marry Callista Flockhart. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and my, my favorite recent Harrison Fordism was when he was doing the, like, junket tour to promote Call of the Wild, and he's on... I think it was like the Late Late Show and they were saying like, oh man, what's it like to act with, you know, a man in a green screen suit pretending to be a dog? Like, how how did you, how did you get yourself to believe that? And he's like, well, you know, that's what they asked for when they signed the checks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think, I, I, think I saw that story. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. He, uh, Harrison Ford. Well, I know he's um, all of our dad. While we're while we're talking about about uh, Han Solo, I wanted to give him a quick pairing. Which mm. again, Winston, I think you'll be very happy with this choice. I'm gonna give him Temper Neo. Yeah, which is Winston's favorite wine because nice. because he's definitely like a big, brash, spicy character in this movie, and and we'll talk about. Obviously, and obviously, his character goes goes up and down throughout the mm-hmm. throughout the series, and and actually like has some complexity to him. But in this one, he's just like he's 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 classic, you know. He's all seventies hairy chest machismo. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, so 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 that's Alec Guinness. Harrison Ford, we're meeting all of these iconic characters, and uh, and then obviously there's Carrie Fisher, and. A lot of what I know about the production or what I remember about learning about the production comes from listening to the audiobook read by Carrie Fisher of her, uh, I think it's called The Princess Di- or what, the Prince, what is It's The Princess Diaries, right? Is it? It's something. Or something it, like that. that. I believe she, so. Yeah. I that that's she, what that one is called, yeah. Yeah, that she wrote and published right before she died. Uh, or it's just her journals from this time filming this movie. Which is crazy. I mean, she was like 110 pounds or something, and they made her go to fat camp. Truly what obscene they, stuff. What they did to Carrie Fisher is unacceptable, but she is incredible. And and I want to get your your thoughts, Sarah, about this because you know I don't remember specifically when I first saw these movies if I was like cognizant of like mm-hmm. oh this is this is like a powerful woman in sci-fi maybe because you know she had i obviously i was seeing these movies you know 20 years after they'd come out and so and so like her legacy kind of has endured but um but i was wondering what what you think about the great late carrie fisher and and uh princess slash general leia or i mean she's absolutely brilliant uh both the character and and the the woman yes um the actor Carrie Fisher does not get enough credit for what uh, what phenomenal story sense that she has. And you can see it if you if you read her writings um, and a lot of the movies that she was in, including later Star Wars films, uh, were uh, uh, got uncredited script edits by Carrie Fisher. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, she talks about that in the book, right? Yeah, I think, yeah. Like, I think so. Maybe not in New Hope, but by the time they were doing Empire and, and yeah. Jedi, she was re- she was she was right the in scripts. there. And uh, that's and amazing. I think you know she is sort of one of those first archetypes of like quote unquote the strong female character, right? Um, quote unquote. And it, it's we can't know how much like it meant uh, for a character to steal the gun away from the handsome lug and like shoot more accurately right, uh, right. than he did um but i think what's what's so wonderful and especially in this movie uh about her is that like in in modern action movies particularly with modern action heroines mm-hmm. um there's kind of the the sense that like they have kind of one mode and one behavior um mm. which is which is to be tough and the film understands uh, new hope uh, understands that like a lot of what makes her so wonderful is that there are these moments of contradiction and monos- moments of vulnerability um, mm-hmm. and she doesn't take any shit yeah. um, until something she cares about is in danger and then she caves completely right. um, and so I think what makes her so wonderful is that she is just a believable fully realized person who never kill, never misses a stormtrooper uh, yeah I think you're absolutely right that she's the most three dimensional character in maybe all of the star wars universe it's possible yeah Uh, like i don't i can't think of anyone who has a more nuanced existence in that world really if i can interject one thing and i want to hear what you have to say about this sarah because when we were first Mm -hmm. talking about the um the episode and the pairings we were talking like brainstorming Mm -hmm. you know and emma's basically got it all planned out like beautiful type a to a t notes she's like well you know i'm thinking you know i need this or the other thing and i i mentioned sake she'd already done it of course and done all the research <laughs> and everything but i was like well i think we should talk about sake because the assault on the death star mm. is essentially a kamikaze mission and i know this because i'm a terrible person so i've spent a lot of time watching the movie and I count all the fighters that leave Yavin 4 to go Mm -hmm. assault the Death Star and there's 30 and of the 30, three come back, including Luke Skywalker and Wedge Antilles. Yeah. And so that just kind of made me think about how, you know, the Japanese fighters toward the end of World War II, when they were doing the kamikaze squadrons, they would put on like the special scarf, they would have a glass of sake like right, on the bridge of the ship mm-hmm. and there was a ritual to it and they would go off and most of them would die, if not all of them. Mm. And it seems to me like the suicidal aspect of the Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy doesn't doesn't get that much coverage. Like it doesn't stick yeah. in the brain as much as you think. And then it's like, oh wait, every under five character that we've met is going to die. Yeah. And, yeah. and possibly some named characters and and the rebel losses are just tremendous all the time for what they're able to do. And yeah. so that's what I thought about. So what do you think about that? Like the, the, the insurgent nature of the rebel Alliance. I don't know whatever, whatever. Yeah. It is that it's something that, you. that you're, you're absolutely right. Fades into the background because you, star Wars has been around for 43 years, which yeah. is an insane amount of time for um, a story to have, such vital cultural import as it does um and if you look at the the story structure of of the first movie 
um, it's a rebellion movie. It's 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 about uh, sort of underdogs and impossible odds, and you see that in just like the size of those X-wing. Uh, which, if you're watching it for the first time, or if you were watching it in 1978 or 77 or whenever it was, they just look like fighter planes, and then you right. see them in the shot against the Death Star, and just visually, you know yeah. what an impossibility it is the thing that they're undertaking. Right. Well, I was just going to say, that, um, yeah, and the, and the self-sacrifice that all the people have is very reminiscent of, like, you know, the Dam Busters and the World War II movies that it's inspired by. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's we're, it's not actually on the Allied side because at that point, yeah, there was there were terrible things going on, but it was backed up by overwhelming force. And in this, we're, uh, especially in the late 70s, we're like in a decolonizing period mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. consciousness. And it's amazing to me that, you know, all these things that are taken for granted in, in A New Hope, like, you know, stay on target, stay on target. Yeah. And people are getting blown <laughs> up, you know, yeah. and it's just, well, it's, I, it, it's so weird because it's a kid's movie in so many ways. Well, it's interesting. But it's also telling you this It's incredible... interesting because as, as, uh, as we were talking about before, like, George Lucas wanted this to be, like, a more kind of optimistic sci-fi film than the other one he made. I can't remember the name of it right oh, now. Oh, THX? Yes. THX. Yeah, yeah. THX. It's, it's the one his uh, sound company is named after. Yeah, that's right. Um, but but so, like, I think he purposefully wanted this to, like, have, uh, obviously, hope um, in this in this movie. But uh, but for, for that to happen, like, you know, you definitely have to understand the stakes and the loss. And I don't think it's really until Rogue One that, like, the sacrifice is really addressed um, in these in these movies. I don't know. I mean, that's that's when it is the focus of that story. And that right. is, you know, that's that's a, a wild bunch clone. Um, it's a very good one. Totally. Uh, right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So all, yeah. all respect to Sam Peckinpah. Oh, yeah. All the love in the world to Sam Peckinpah. Um, I don't know what this means because I'm not. It's, a... He's a director. Oh, okay. Uh, who, who made <laughs> The Wild Bunch and a lot of other very bloody movies. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I, I think it, I'm not sure if it was The Wild Bunch, but there is one Sam Peckinpah statistic. It might be The Wild Bunch where more shots were fired, blanks and all that other stuff mm-hmm. in the making of the, the film than were fired in the entire Mexican Revolution. Whoa. Like, the, sh- I b- I would the believe sheer that amount of discharge. <laughs> and this Shit. is also, A like, Sam things. Peckinpah was the kind of, like, Hunter S. Thompson-type character who would, like, lock himself in a suite in a hotel in Vermont and shoot out the roof and stuff like that when mm. he was drunk on whiskey and cocaine you know he's, he's that kind of character <laughs> yeah, but, but that's, a, he, that's a he, digression he belonged he was he, he lived in the right time uh, yeah. that, <laughs> that is right. a, that yeah. is a perfect way to describe him <laughs> uh, but i was what i was gonna say is um mm-hmm. what's so interesting about a new hope um and what i think it, it it does so well dramatically one of the things um is that it it's great about sort of uh pairing uh, mm. this very high stakes operatic um, life or death struggle with uh, very human moments of, of humor mm, and levity mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because you go from that iconic first shot where you've got the Star Destroyer chasing down the tiny, tiny consular ship. Right. Um, and then you get, you know, Goofus and Gallant in yeah. R2 and yep. 3PO. Yep. 
um, sort of bumbling about in a very comic fashion, right? Uh, being affected by the struggle, and they're in their, you know, part of the rebellion. Absolutely. But I think it, it, you know, you you get that more optimistic feel because these people are so good and so funny mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. this in vast, um, incredible circumstance. Right. Right. That's something I wanted to ask you about, Sarah, because I think it is pretty unique, or at least it was at the time, uh, to have the film start with your protagonists are, well, they're essentially the comic relief characters Mm -hmm, for most of the saga, but they start out as the heroes, and they very much are your protagonists for the first 15 minutes of the film? Yeah, about the first 15, 17 minutes of the movie before Luke shows up. And and what I mean, what let's be real. Let, as a writer? Let's sorry. be real. I mean, I'm I'm sorry. I do want to hear what you have to say seriously, but I'm <laughs> I'm sort of joking when I say, and sort of not uh, that three PO and R two are the are the protagonists. Well, there's this the, truly a forever love. It is truly a forever I mean, love. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and that's an incredible thing, which we can we can talk about. But yes, I would <laughs> love to hear your your thoughts, Sarah, about about how the the start of the film and I mean, yeah, it's, it's a very bold uh, gambit, right? Because you would think um, that you, you start with your hero, but when your hero is a farm boy who is just like being moody and doing chores, which is important. It's important that that's what he's doing because that's how we relate to Luke Skywalker because he's a child. Right. But like, you know, it's sort of what you were talking about earlier, uh, Winston about making sure you start in media res. Um, the 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 what you're what we're following through the film and it starts in the opening crawl is the Death Star plans and right. what's going to happen to them and can the Rebel Alliance defeat this evil empire, and the film does something incredibly smart, which is it makes its MacGuffin a character by giving mm. the plans to R two. Right. That oh my god, I had never even thought about that, Sarah. You're this is genius. not an original idea to me. Yeah. Um, I, I wanna. I wanna. I've done. I've read a. A fair amount of of stuff about Star Wars, and so sure, um, I did not have that insight first, but it's a good insight, right? It's okay. Because we'll give it to you for this one. You have <laughs> a character making choices, mm-hmm. uh, like going away from three PO, where there's it feels like there's real stakes because the plans are going with him, right? And you right. care about R two in a way that you wouldn't care about a wave a wayfinder dagger, mm-hmm. right? Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, or a ring. Yeah. Say. Yeah. Hey, right. hey, what are you exactly. trying to say? Nothing, Winston? nothing. <laughs> what? Where am I? Who are all you people? Stop yelling at me. <laughs> well, Lord of the Rings, we let's not talk about what Tolkien does. We will spend another hour doing I know. That. Yeah, um, no, I, that, I, that, I that would be the... Yeah. Well, I just, I just want to hear the two of you talk about it, and I would actually put duct tape over my mouth. Hey, we'll, that. We, we might have to have a Lord of the Rings revisited episode with Sarah. Um, so Anytime. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so so now it, it feels like a good time to talk about Luke and uh, the beloved Mark Hamill. Farm boy. Yes. Fetch me that picture. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a crossover I would watch. But Mark Hamill is so perfect in these movies to, yeah. as Luke Skywalker. He's so earnest. And I think that's what it is. You know, he's not necessarily, you know, I think he... he over the course of his career becomes a much better actor technically. Um, mm-hmm. And in, particularly in the last Jedi, I th- I think he's just fabulous, but, uh, but there's something so lovable about him 
Yeah. In in these movies. And I do think it's that I think it's that earnestness and I think it's that that kind of I don't know I don't know what the right word for it is, but but just being being he's kind of like the book that the story is written on. Well, he's just petulant yeah. enough, I think. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. In in the prequel trilogy, the the mood swings that yes. Anakin is supposed to have are both unearned from like a writer's perspective, but mm-hmm. also the way and Hayden Christian, God bless him. You know, I I, I know I feel nothing poor, but sympathy poor, for poor him. Poor man, put poor like, Hayden. <laughs> what he was, what he was asked to do in those like sudden transitions yeah. that we don't need to digress about. You know, yeah. that's ridiculous. But you know, Luke has just enough. Like, well, how about? Well, maybe I'll maybe I'll be the pilot. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, what is it? Oh, I'm not such a bad shot myself. Yeah, you know all that. All that's like yeah. ju- there's just enough of it. Yeah, and then the rest of it is like, oh yeah, sure, I'll put on a helmet, strange old man. Yeah, yeah. Can't <laughs> see, you know. Yeah, and, and he's and he has that kind of country bumpkinness mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. sticks with him. I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, because like the difference between Anakin and Luke. Uh, is that Luke's problems are pretty timeless and relatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, he He's stuck at home and he doesn't want to be. Yeah. Right. Um, he wants to be a part of something and to be more than a farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all like remember that time in our lives when we felt trapped and we wanted to be so much more than we were. Absolutely. Um, and it doesn't really matter like that he's, you know, got to repair droids and like, shoots wampa rats in his spare time right right. we've all been there whereas anakin uh is dealing with like this forbidden love and he might be a chosen one and it's all very arch um and unrelatable right Right. yeah and i think to to you know torture this analogy even more um (laughs) i do think that luke takes a lot of inspiration from um at the hobbits writ large maybe the idea yeah. of like a very normal, small, relatable person thrust into a much larger world without, mm-hmm. you know, consent or time to prepare. And Anakin yeah. is sort of like, what? I'm this little kid and now I'm a messiah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I yeah. I mean, I feel like I feel like Luke is like he's got to be like Mary or something from Lord of the Rings who like has some has some smarts mm-hmm. and has some like wants to get out of wants to get out of here a little bit. Yeah, he's got but, some savvy. Yeah, he's got some savvy exactly, but he's still like a little bit of a country bumpkin and a, He's kind of a combo of Merry and Pippin. He kind of is it. actually. But yeah, so 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 just talking about uh, kind of this 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 kind of mixture of like a a simplicity but but also like a potential for greatness. Um, mm-hmm. the, the pairing that I make for Luke in this movie particularly, I think is Pino Grigio because I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Cause Pino Grigio, it's very, you know, like 90% of Pino Grigio, that's a made up statistic, but let's go with it. <laughs> um, 90% of Pino Grigio is just fine. There's nothing to hate about it, but there's not much to like. be like, oh, my God, this is a great wine. It's just like your generic dry white wine. and But it does the job, you know, and it's usually pretty inexpensive and it'll get you it'll get you through. Um, but then right. every once in a while, you'll find a really great one and be like, oh, my God, this is what a Pinot Grigio could be. And um, and I feel like that's very Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Because he he's very you know he's got that potential for greatness 
and and that greatness is not just like his Jedi powers. It's it's like no, it's his it's his, his earnestness. Exactly, it's yeah. his, his essential goodness. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And he's forced into a world where he has to manufacture cheap Pinot Grigio all the time. Yeah. And, and but he wants he really wants to make the good stuff. He goes <laughs> he goes through all those sort of moral awakening phases in about you know five minutes of screen time. Right. He's like, I want to do something about the Empire, but it's just so big and so far away. And then he's like the hero. And then he's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he loses his his basically parents. Yeah. Well, having a, and... a large imperial power bomb your family to yeah. death. Yeah. We'll, we'll change your you family alive. as a That'll person. Do it. Yeah. 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 It is, it is like really wonderful and refreshing to think about how quickly that happens. And like, yeah. how, I don't know when I've, I've been writing things like there's the temptation to sort of belabor mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. psychology of how people come to decisions. It's like, no, it, you don't have to do it. It can take two minutes. It's no, fine. no, exactly. Yeah, you can and see that's one something... thing and it'll change your entire worldview. I know, I know, you know, with me, with public defense, like it, it definitely started to impact me the minute I saw the way the criminal justice system treats poor people and people of color. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I was just like, oh, well, this is a life changing event for me. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I think I, you know, I agree with you, Sarah, like in my mind, the the first act of of A New Hope is much longer than it is in the film if that makes sense like like getting there and getting to from meeting luke to him meeting obi-wan to right. to aunt beru and oh my god why can't i remember his uncle uncle owen, Lars, uh, owen. uncle owen and um, thank you sarah yeah yeah you got it <laughs> um uh to them dying and then having to go make this huge choice it's very very fast it's very fast um and i think that that is part of the the beauty of this movie is is this is the pace of the storytelling um and yeah it's just so assured it's yeah, wild yeah. yeah i mean it's taught in in screenplay classes and books for a reason for right? sure i mean sarah you can you can give us your take on that and its treatment of the heroes i mean if you if you would honor us <laughs> um, can I can I go off about the hero's please journey go, for just yes, a second? Go yes, right please off. go off on it. Because see, here's the thing. Um, <laughs> Tell it like it is. J.J. Abrams mute the podcast for just yeah, a second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he does. He is one of my my biggest fans. So, <laughs> well, I, I I thought so. Um, a lot is made of Star Wars uh, as this sort of great modern iteration of, quote unquote, the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you read uh, Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a, a Thousand Faces, it is a fascinating book, uh, but it is a work of anthropology. Right. It is not a storytelling guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, do mm-hmm. not fucking use it if you are trying <laughs> to tell a story. <laughs> uh, because the point isn't that there's a denial of the call. That is not in itself a conflict beat. Uh, Mm -hmm. The point is that you come to understand a character's um, internalized psychology and the very valid conflicts that would perhaps Mm. prevent them from going on an adventure. Uh, And you, so that you, that when they do go on an adventure, you then understand what it means and what it Mm. costs them. So I think the script for A New Hope is a great script. Um, I think it is worth looking at if you want to understand, especially how to do action. 
um, mm-hmm. in a very clear ways that, you know, like you were talking about earlier, Winston, with um, you have all of these fighters and they call out what they're doing um, so that you have absolute clarity, both where you are in space and what the goals are and what the objectives are and how it complicates those things um, is ingenious. So I, I, I mm-hmm. tend to be a little bit weary and a little bit jaded about like, scripts that are taught in screenwriting totally. classes because i think a lot of the times people take uh the wrong lessons from them um absolutely but but uh this script uh for a new hope is is very very good um definitely definitely read it if you want to uh think about how to construct a story writers take note you want to listen to sarah shackett when she gives you insight this is true. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't want to listen to Joseph Campbell. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the. It's one of. The, I feel like it. It's... Well, I have to rep him because he taught Sarah Lawrence. You know. <laughs> oh, that's fair. At, at, no, at, and like, at Hogwarts, as as a work of sort of uh, myth making, if you are sort of in an Edith Hamilton kind of a mood, mm-hmm. like it's great. Um, just don't don't write a screenplay off it. I think I feel a similar way um, from an acting perspective about. Um, like Stanislavski and not not Stanislavski himself, but like how people have misinterpreted Stanislavski mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. as actors. I feel very much the same way as like, no, you're missing the point. Like, yes, go to the, I mean, Stanislavski himself, there's a lot to learn from, but the but the kind of misunderstandings of of like what he was going for are very frustrating to me sometimes mm-hmm. working with actors. So I, I totally relate to that. I totally relate to that. But anyway, uh, coming back to, since since we're talking about A New Hope, obviously most of it takes place on, or maybe not most, but a great deal of it takes place on Tatooine, which is this desert mm-hmm. planet, which they filmed in Tunisia, um, or the mo- most of it in Tunisia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of it was filmed in like Death Valley in in California. Yeah, like, for pickups or something. Yeah, or something. I think they did do a, a great deal of filming in Tunisia. And they did. Because uh, this is something I remember from The Princess Diarist is that Debbie Reynolds, um, Carrie Fisher's mm-hmm. uh, very famous Hollywood mother, yes. like pitched a fit that they were going to fly her to Tunisia and coach. <laughs> I don't remember that, but that's... That's perfect. That's so Debbie she's, Reynolds. She's the Roxanne yeah. from which all Roxannes are derived. <laughs> yes, yes. Roxanne <laughs> is true. Winston's mother. Um, <laughs> but but also that reminds me, a great great film is Postcards from the Edge, which, which Carrie Fisher wrote. Yeah, pretty much based which on she wrote. based on her life. Um, and but Shirley MacLaine plays the Debbie Reynolds character, and Meryl Streep plays the Carrie Fisher character, and it's. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Truly. Um, highly recommend. Highly recommend it. But so um, but so in part of uh, Winston helping me prepare for the pairing aspect of this episode, um, he said, well, what are like some wines that come from Tunisia and or like Northern Africa? I was like, I have mm-hmm. I have no idea. But I looked it up and apparently Tunisia does make wine. And um, it probably I have a feeling it mostly stays within Tunisia, um, but apparently they are most known for their rosé production, huh, which, as really? we all know, is one of my favorites. I'm drinking a rosé right now, and very I was nice, thinking nice. that rosé is kind of a perfect 
as generally speaking, is kind of perfect for A New Hope because, Mm -hmm. bear with me, um, because, you know, like George Lucas before this was kind of viewed as like this weirdo. And like you were saying, Winston, he had to like fight tooth and nail to get this movie made. And now he's kind of like the standard by which we judge all sci-fi. And maybe that's unfair to say, but he, you know, I mean, Star Wars is such an iconic part of science fiction and just like pop culture. I was just going to say, because Rosé has had like, before this time has had not a great reputation for a while there. A lot of people were like, oh no, I hate Rosé because it's all sweet and gross. And now people are realizing that it's actually like most of it is dry and delicious and it's become immensely popular. And so I feel like Rosé is kind of like the pop culture equivalent, (laughs) wine (laughs) equivalent of this movie. Right. A hard Um, seed to plant that takes over everything. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Eventually. Eventually. I love that idea. Yeah. So, um, so that's my, that's my general pairing. I did want to go back because I realized real quick that, um, I, I talked about my pairings for most of the major characters that we meet, but not for Leia. And I think that Leia is like Sangiovese or Nebbiolo, which are red grapes that are like both very acidic and very tannic. Um, hmm. particularly Nebbiolo, because in this movie, she is, like you were saying, Sarah, she is so on point and so, like, tough uh, all the time. But then you get moments of, like, vulnerability and softness. And is she's just, like, she is the most well-rounded character in many ways. And yeah, I, I, those are those are my favorite, my personal favorite wines. And so because of they have aw. the toughness and the softness. I mean, she's 19 when she's doing that crazy. scene it's with wild. Grand Moff it's Tarkin. Wild. Where she's like, I was wondering what hole you slithered out of. And then she goes from that to like, oh, you know, she you think she's betraying the rep- like that yeah. whole scene. She's 19. Mm-hmm. It's amazing it's that she can do that. And you just, you don't doubt it for a second. It's you know, totally In the way crazy. that everything Anakin says in the prequel trilogies, you're like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Which... Are you an angel? <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. Poor Jake Lloyd. I know. Yeah, I know. I, know. It's, I, know. It's, I feel bad for both him and, um, okay, and just Hayden, Hayden, Hayden Christensen. Christensen. Both yeah. of them, I think, are fine people who are really unfairly victimized by a vicious... Pre Reddit fan base. The the um one of the things we've talked about in some of some of the Star Wars episodes so far is is that the fan base of Star Wars can be very cruel, very mm-hmm. very cruel. Um and and that's I'm I'm not about that. I'm not about that. I don't I don't like that at all. No, it it misses the point. Yes, in a, in a very key way. Yeah. Yes. I'm not sure you guys got the message of the movie. <laughs> the last. The last thing that I have that I wanted to talk about is obviously mm-hmm. Darth Vader. I mean, yeah. I mean, we could talk about like a lot of other things in the movie, and we can, and we can. Um, but I wanted, I just wanted to to make sure to talk about Vader um, because this is the first time. Oh, he's in the movie. He is. Oh. He is. Yeah. Um, and and this was a fun fact uh, since since I went down this this deep dive of like alternate castings. Um, uh-huh. 
So apparently, originally, George Lucas wanted Orson Welles to be the voice of Vader. Oh, I can see Christ. that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would totally work. <laughs> but but get this. Get the irony of this. Um, at that point, Orson Welles was too noticeable, was too... Uh, his voice was his too voice recognizable. His voice was too recognizable. Yeah. And, and it ja- makes sense. And James Earl Jones wasn't at the time (laughs) which i'm like now he's possibly the most iconic voice ever he is in apocalypse now right james Earl jones isn't he as like a a fairly young guy on the pt boat isn't he so is harrison ford yeah Uh, yeah yeah i think so oh i did not know that that's harrison ford is in is in apocalypse now for like a scene he's Mm -hmm. lincoln you'll miss him yeah Um, i'm pretty sure well, I, I, know, I know James Earl Jones, the first time I remember seeing him, or like the earliest film I remember seeing him in is Dr. Strangelove, mm-hmm. where he's one of the crew of the bomber. Mm-hmm. And that's, he's like very young James Earl no, Jones. No, it's Lawrence Fishburne. Wait, in, in, um, in Apocalypse Dr. Strangelove. Oh, it's so, okay. All right. So. So that was just. We all did a racism That together. was just a racism. <laughs> yeah. It happens. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but, but back to your point, like my point go- was becoming the most iconic voice. Yeah, it's in just funny. World. It's just funny that like that's why he was chosen. I think he wasn't even originally credited as the voice of Vader in this. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That might be that might be a rumor. Um, but but I don't know the um, guy. The guy who plays the body of of Vader. Whose name I'm going to forget. David Prowse is his name. Mm-hmm. And apparently, I have no idea what else he's ever done, but apparently he, um, he's he got a very distinct like English country accent, and so they didn't want him to be the voice. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Also, apparently, Peter Mayhew, who plays Chewbacca, could have been the body of Vader or Chewbacca. And he chose Chewbacca. I, Sarah, you were there at that Dragon Con when we saw Peter Mayhew, right? Yeah, I'm when not I'm sure. Right next to you, and he's a true. He was a. He was rest in peace. Yes, a but towering he was a, individual, a yes. giant of a human giant being, human. like a truly otherworldly kind of build. Yeah, like he was like super. What was it, seven feet tall and very yeah. slender. Yeah, and it's funny to think about it now because, like, you know, that first shot of Chewbacca, you. You can't really tell. He just looks like another weird alien. But Peter Mayhew's physicality is so important to that character. And yeah, no, I wanted. And so I wanted to give credit to him. And also, um, we mentioned it, but but Anthony Daniels, who plays three PO, totally brilliant, and I I think is very much the heart of the whole Skywalker saga from Episode One to Episode Nine. Um, Well, if anyone can be credited with physically selling the universe Mm -hmm. i think it's anthony daniels because the way 3po has to walk in that stunted fashion and the weird limitations that are placed on his movement you're kind of like oh well this is a crazy different world we're in why is it like that what is his thing and you know like it just it makes it so very real in a way that the other actors, I think, deserve credit for too, but that you don't necessarily notice the same. Right. Because Peter Mayhew's wearing a fursuit, and then mm-hmm. the actor R- who's playing Archie Dutu oh, yeah. is, in is in a very contained suit that 
you don't really necessarily anthropomorphize. Right, all, right. All Kenny Baker. Kenny them. Baker is right. the actor who's in the R2 uh, suit. But yeah, there's something. I, when this is not really spoilers, I mean, if you're listening to these Star Wars episodes, and you're worried about spoilers. Who are you? But so, um, but but in the in the trailer for Rise of Skywalker, when when they had the moment of three PO being like, "I just want to look at my friends one mm-hmm. last time," I bo- I just broke out in immediate tears because like he, that's the one character who's been in each of those main you know the chapter films, um, and so that that just made me very emotional yeah um but but yeah so that's so that's what i have to talk about there's so much more we could talk about um this movie kind of has a a very wizard of oz reputation in terms of like production being an absolute nightmare um and things constantly going wrong but i don't know enough of the the kind of anecdotes about it uh to really dive into that but from my from what I know, it was like a nightmare to get it done. <laughs> and it was way behind schedule at every step of the process. Um, but sometimes you just have to make a beautiful mess and it becomes... And it doesn't get enough credit. I'm sorry, Emma. Um, no, go ahead. I was I was just going to say that like I, I don't know a ton about uh, the story of the production, except mm-hmm. that it was a giant mess. But it's one of those films and it's become so culturally important that it's it's sort of secondary now. Right. Um, how important it was technically uh, yes. and in terms of being a film that gave uh, filmmakers like a new language for how to use visual yeah. effects. Absolutely. Uh, and much more, I think you know the effects get better and better as as you go in the original trilogy um but what's neat about new hope is that they're still doing so much um with very heavy clumsy cameras mm-hmm. um and they're still having to sort of do enough planning because they know that the the energy and the movement is going to be in the edit um not right. in in the actual composition of the shot that it's just like technically perfect um right. the way that you know you you match eye lines and and the way that the explosions feed off of each other and the sense of cause and effect like the visual effects in this movie are very very good uh for the time um and are still they still get you absolutely what i'm thinking of is that one particular shot where the x-wings have engaged the death star and Mm -hmm. i can't remember if it's luke's or somebody else but it, it basically like peels off and flips upside down and dives down to start engaging the towers or something. Yeah. And I, I was like, they're doing all this with like 1970s battleship kits and a Jeep, you know, right. <laughs> and this giant camera. Yeah. And the fact that it looks like that. It's it, crazy. It's a marvel. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, I think that's, that's really true is, is that this, this movie you know, along with many other, you know, the the original trilogy as a whole, sure, but this movie in particular was such an innovation and totally changed the course of, I want to say, at least science fiction in film <laughs> and TV, if not, you know, much, much more than that. So, and and action and other 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 genres. Of, of kind of epic epic filmmaking but 
Yeah. Uh, is there any, was there anything else that anybody wanted to talk about, about this film? I mean, there's, again, we could probably talk for at least like four more hours about it, but. Take us home, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, man. I, I, I just am going to say that I really, really love um the choice of Rosé for this oh, film. Great. Oh, thank um, you. Because it's such, it's both, both the, the wine and the film are just such a delight. Exactly. Uh, you will, you will talk about the other movies. You will talk about all of the highs and lows and, and wonderful things, but just like A New Hope's a delight. And uh, it is. I think you, you, uh, you chose well, you chose wisely well, with the thank wine. thank you. So I'll say that. I chose wisely. <laughs> That's a different, different franchise. Different franchise, <laughs> but. Still Lucas. <laughs> yeah, still Lucas and still Harrison Ford. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, well, Sarah, thank you so much for being here and sharing your insight. Is there anything that you would like to plug? Ooh, um, sure. I... Thank you so much for having me, first of all. Oh my all. gosh, of course. Anytime. Um, so, uh, things to plug. Um, if you want to uh, get at me about all of your Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, or, or assorted uh, other related fandom feels, um, I'm on Twitter at, at Sarah Shackett. Um, and I also produce a show with some folks uh, who used to work with Emma and that Emma has been on called No Bad Ideas. Yeah. Uh, it is a storytelling game show where we take horrible ideas from the internet and then try to turn them into the start of stories, not as stories that are as good as Star Wars, but hopefully entertaining. Um, so if that, I mean, I uh, think the is- shark, the shark concert story that we that we did Mm -hmm. i think that's at least as good as star wars at least i think so yeah (laughs) it's Uh, such a great show kennedy yes (laughs) uh but yeah so you can check that out and um if you have not if you're listening to pairing and you have not listened to uh wolf 359 or zero hours what are you doing go listen to those right now that's very true that's very true i would not be where i am today without you and the work, the the writing that you have let me say. Oh my gosh, right back at you. Uh, the best thing uh, for a writer is when your your stupid words get said by someone like Emma Shajarko or Alec Guinness, and it becomes much more than it is. I'm just, I'm just fanning myself. That because... is the pairing <laughs> yeah. that I always make in my mind. <laughs> me and Alec Guinness. Yeah, I there mean, you go. It makes sense. It checks out. <laughs> checks out yeah well you you know you have that same chiseled jawline it's true the beards are yeah it's the beard (laughs) well sarah thank you so much this was like a new hope a delight pairing was created hosted and produced by emma shirjarko with music and audio recording by winston shaw and logo artwork by darcy zimmerman and katie huey this episode was edited by Emma Sherjarko. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. And feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Also, check out our merch store on our website at thepairingpodcast.com merch. If you enjoyed the show, 
please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to Pairing, where you come for the stories and stay for the wine.